Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I welcome you back to your seats. Are you ready to finish up Mark chapter 5? Because that's going to be the point of this morning's Bible study. We are picking up where we left off right there. Smack dab in the middle of chapter 5. You can make your way there. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we always ask that the Holy Spirit would quiet our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to fix our attention on you and your word, assisted by the Holy Spirit. Lord, apart from Christ, we can do nothing, as the word declares. So, Lord, we're just at your mercy. We, we want to see and hear and understand so that we can put the truth into practice and to live it. That's where the blessing is. In Christ's name, amen. amen. As a pastor and in the ministry, as you would imagine, very often uh, we'll get an emergency call for help, right? Um, Somebody in a serious predicament, you know, there's been an accident or somebody's in harm's way, uh, maybe even a deathbed situation, help is needed and off you go. But I can't imagine that if you're on an emergency call, then you get a call of another emergency at the same time that you're trying to be helpful in the first case. Uh, But that's exactly what happens this morning in This morning's text here in Mark chapter 5, and as I said before, uh, no worries, nothing's too difficult for the Lord, but here he goes on one emergency call, and then there's a surprise interruption of still another dire need. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, now he's back in Capernaum, the Jewish region, a a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed immediately. Her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? 
You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? (laughs) But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, the three, And the five of them went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, in Aramaic, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. By the way, she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Yeah, I'll say. Verse 43, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, here we have really two stories wrapped up in one account. Now, for context, you will recall that we're kind of smack dab in the middle of four stories purposely placed there by the Holy Spirit to really show off Jesus' all-surpassing power. And uh, first it was Jesus is Lord over the forces of nature. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. He just says a word to the wind and the waves, and even they obey his command. And then he's Lord over the forces of evil, and just with another command, a simple word, he says to a legion, a whole bunch of evil spirits, it's time to flee, and they go running. And so he's Lord over evil, the evil one as well. And now a twofer we've got here, verses 21 through 43. Um, and, and Jesus is Lord over disease, a debilitating, draining, terrible, slow death kind of disease, and then of death itself. And there's a purpose for these four stories, two of which we finish up today. There's a purpose. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be equal to God in every way. He's claiming to be God in an in the form of a human being, the God-man, as he's called, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have a human father, but born of a virgin, a human being. So in every way, he is every bit God, 100% God. He's 100% man. And that's the claim, and the miracles are there as verifiable evidence that he is who he says he is, and he can do what he claims to do. And he's making some pretty wild claims. Whoever believes in me will never die. 
I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. I'm the bread of heaven. You eat of this bread, you'll never be hungry. I alone can satisfy the desire of every living thing. Those are pretty big claims. And so he says in John chapter 10, do not believe me if I can't do what only God can do. But if I can do what God can do, and I'm claiming to be God, then you got to listen up and put your trust in me. So the purpose of the miracles, of course, there's a need right there. And Jesus has compassion, and he's going to meet that need to alleviate some suffering. But don't stop there. His miracles are teaching They're teaching us something so that when you are putting your faith and trust in Jesus and you've got a storm, you know, God can get me through this storm. He's Lord of my chaos and craziness. When my boat goes upside down, he's got this. He said, we're going on the other side. We're going to go to the other side. And when evil comes against you, and who doesn't experience that? We have the, the devil is said to be like a roaring lion roaming about seeking someone to devour. And he said, don't worry, I got this. I'm stronger than him. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So he's just demonstrating, and now we've got these two. Disease comes your way, and he just wants you to know, I got that. I made your body. I can handle this. I can make what's wrong right. And then he says, ultimately, death and the fear of that death hangs over every human being. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it is appointed unto every human being once to die and then the judgment. And so we all know that. We sense that's coming. And all Jesus wants to do is say, I'm worthy of your trust and you don't have to live this life giving way to fear and panic. But if you got God, if you got me in your life, Things are going to be okay because I've got all power over all things. And these are just like kind of exhibit A, exhibit B to all his marvelous claims. And so we take a look. This text divides quite nicely a desperate plea, surprise interruption, and a death-defying miracle. Let's dive in, isolate the first part as we always do, and let's get to this synagogue ruler. I want you to think of a synagogue ruler as a pastor, They had little local synagogues, and his job was to facilitate the worship, the sermons. He was in charge of overseeing finances. He was the pastor of their little synagogue. And now, so interesting to me about this guy, uh, well, one man's trash is another man's treasure. He just, your text says that he came from the other side. Well, you'll recall last week, he was over in the Gerasene region, mostly non-Jewish people, the herd of swine, that whole thing, and they couldn't wait to get rid of Jesus. They begged him earnestly, leave, 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 leave. You know, we don't want to get saved or anything like that. I mean, we don't want to lose our sins and our autonomy and life as we know it. We're afraid of you just messing everything up. And so they said, go get in the boat before All of that happens here. And so he left. They didn't want anything to do with him. And now he gets to the Jewish side, Capernaum, the hills right there, where you'll be visiting next year, some of you. And what an opposite spirit. They welcome him. They're waiting. In fact, there's a crowd there. And there are two people in that crowd that we are going to hear about, both in desperate situations. And so 
Let's look at this desperate ruler of this synagogue, okay? It took a lot of courage for him to come to Christ, and that's what's happening here. You're seeing faith in action. Listen, faith that saves you is not saying, I believe in God, meaning I think there is a God or I believe there is a God, doesn't save you. Faith in God is this intellectual, uh, this not intellectual assent that there is a God, but a personal, living, breathing faith in God, a trusting in him that affects the way you live your life. In other words, you don't have to tell anybody you're a believer. You can just point to a guy like Jairus, throwing himself down before Jesus, believing Jesus the answer to his greatest fear, surrendered, humbled, submitted, trusting, put your hands on her, she'll live. That's faith. So nobody has to say, hey, does he believe in Jesus? No, that's pretty obvious by his lifestyle. James says, don't stop telling me you're a believer. I'll show you that I'm a believer by my deeds, James chapter two. And so we get a little bit of faith displayed here uh, through this man. But it took a lot of faith and a lot of courage. He was dragging his feet. You know how I know this? Because it took the daughter's near death to finally bring him to the feet of Jesus. And that's how we are. He's heard Jesus. Jesus spent 80% of his time and his teachings and his ministry in that region right there. He's the pastor of the church of Jesus' hometown where Jesus, by custom, goes in all the time. He's a regular there. And he's been teaching there. And he's seen other people's lives affected. And this is how we all are. We hear the gospel. We see, you know, God allows us to bump into people who say, wow, what a difference he's made in my life. We see that. We have a conscience that is also working to say, hey, man, you've got a sin problem. You're going to die. And God has a solution. And you need to humble yourself. There is a God. It's not you. You're not going to live forever. You're going to die and stand before your maker. Right? So all of this is going on, but yet he's dragging his heels like all of us until something like a breakup or a divorce or a doctor's x-ray or a financial statement or a subpoena or a DUI. And then suddenly, suddenly, we're at the feet of Jesus. Oh, blessed divorce, blessed tumor, Blessed tragedy that will bring you to eternal life. I mean, if that's what it took to get you out of the flames of hell and into eternal glory, yeah, bring it on. That's how I feel. I mean, you know, I'm already saved, so (laughs) I'm saved. I'm here. (laughs) I don't need any more convincing. I got convinced, and that was exactly why I came I knew where I was going, did not want to. I just told somebody. I told somebody, he said, what's up with you? Now you're a Christian. I said, no pleasure, no 19-year-old pleasure is greater than risking my soul in eternal hell. That's what I said. I I weighed them. A, A life of parting, which was kind of fun. It was high, right? And then going to hell forever. And I just did the math and said, that's not a good deal. So I took Jesus up on the offer, you know. So he comes, he throws himself. And what I get back to the point is is that all the Sanhedrin 
who are the ruling elders who are his boss. They have already put out a memo. Whoever confesses this guy as Messiah, the Christ that we've been waiting for, will be excommunicated. So he's supposed to execute his parishioners who put their faith in Jesus, let alone how about his own self, right? So he knows I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose the church. I'm going to lose everything if I go to him. But guess what was more important than all of the what I just listed? His little junior high sweet cherub daughter laying in bed saying, Dad, Dad, help Dad. Oh, beeline straight to Jesus, throws himself in front like a bowl full of jelly, <laughs> just like, and, and he's all over this thing with Jesus. I know who you are. I know if you touch her, she's going to live. Now listen to this. Not the greatest example of faith in the Bible. The greatest example of faith that causes Jesus to marvel is not even a Jewish man. He's a Roman guard. The Rome, Rome is, is occupying Israel at this time. And a Roman centurion had a sick servant. And he loved him. And he got the gospel. He believed. He went to Jesus and said, hey, someone I really love is sick unto death. And then said, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to come and lay hands on her. Just say it. Just say the word and that'll be it. Because he says, I'm a soldier under authority. When I give orders, it gets done. Uh, certainly, if you're who you claim to be, you give an order, boom, it's done. And Jesus goes. <laughs> he says, the Jews don't even think like that. He says, I haven't found your kind of faith in Israel, who's been waiting for me for 1,500 years. Wow. Oh, to make Jesus marvel. Wouldn't you like to be a guy who, who Jesus goes, what? <laughs> wow, you're not like uh, the rest of them. And so you know what I love? I love that he doesn't say, is that all you can muster up? Dude, I've got a, a non-Jewish guy who doesn't even need me to go to his house. I don't need a touch with my hand. But he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, if it can fit underneath your fingernail and that's all you got, it's enough. I'll work with it. I love that he just takes us the way we are. Talk about, how about the lady in the story? If I just touch his clothes, yeah, it's the magic is in the clothes, right? If I just touch his clothes. But she had enough to work with. And Jesus responded, and I just love that. So, you know, he's like, you, you're, you can do this, God. I, I, I believe in you, son of God. And I can just imagine Jesus kind of looking at the disciples. So he doesn't say anything. They just start moving from the shore to wherever Jairus' house is. The story continues. So we're moving on to the, <laughs> the dire, or you could say divine interruption. Now, who is this interloper? An interloper is someone in the story who nobody wants to be there. They show up, but, you know, you weren't invited to the party. And, and poor Jairus, you know, in his attitude, it's like, come on, man, we're on a life and death mission. Who's this lady taking up time? Tick, 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 every tick. His little beloved daughter's gasping. 
So you know his faith is being tested. Jesus likes to do that. He likes to kind of test the faith. And he says, if you can trust me in the delay, you're going to get more than a healing. You're going to get something greater than you're even asking for. Just sit down. But it looks like it's getting worse. It's going to be irreparable. And he suggests, trust me. Would you calm down? My ways are not your ways. My calendar's not your calendar. My schedule's not your schedule. Just chill out, people. I'm God. I'm running things. And I got your good in mind. You know? Just wait. Watch what, watch what I'm going to do here. So he has to wait. Now, your text says she's suffering. Let me just tell you how bad it is. Suffering is used three times. And the word suffering is... <laughs> the harshest possible word for enduring a hardship. It's the bottom of the bottom word for miserable. 12 years is a long time to be sick. Now, do you you like the poetry how God just, God is an artist. For the beautiful 12 years that the 12-year-old has been bringing joy while she's been alive the whole time she's been alive, this woman has been suffering for 12 long years. That's a long time uh, to be sick, for sure. You know, I I did the math. It's like 4,380 days. 4,382 days. Bleeding. Now, she had a problem with her cycle. And She was perpetually on her cycle. It's embarrassing for me to talk about. It's embarrassing, moreover, for her to have to live 4,383 days. And just having the uh, the life ebb out of her, anemic and weak and struggling and pain and suffering and isolation and all of that. And, and, and that, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. That's part of why she's lived 12 years with, I, I just have to be in the shadows, in the background. I'll just sneak up. Nobody will see that kind of humiliation. And the Bible allows this humiliating personal problem that pastors don't even want to talk about from the pulpit because that's the human condition. Her story is our story. We all have conditions of bleeding and humiliating problems that we don't want to talk about that that cause us a lot of problems. Well, let's get to the doctors. And in this case, there's an indictment. At their hands, she suffered more. Luke, who is a doctor, uses the strongest language against the doctors, saying they're giving her quack cures and, and charging her exorbitant fees. So the medical bills have busted her. The doctors are misleading her and misguiding her. And some of the cures were worse than having the disease. Just terrible lot. Now, on top of everything else, let me explain to you what religious uncleanness meant. So the Old Testament was teaching a lesson to the Jews about our sin and how it's defiled us and separated, alienated us from God and something else to be done about it. So here's the lesson. Anything that was associated with original sin, death, 
So uh, original sin happened, we died. So anything with a corpse or a dead body, you touch that, you become unclean. And it's pointing them to, back to the law that says, if you sin, you're going to die, this kind of thing. Now, why would she be unclean? Genesis chapter three, the Lord speaking to Eve, the pain and the rigor of the childbearing process for women is a direct result of what you just did. And that's part of the curse. So therefore, since the, or, the origin of that issue is tied to sin, then during that time as a flag to say original sin, this has to do with original sin, there was some social and religious alienation <clears throat> until there were, they took Levitical uh, procedures to reinstate the fellowship and all of those restorative things that the Bible says, here's how you become uh, morally purified, all point to the cross. So all the Old Testament thing with unclean is a picture of original sin that alienates us from each other, from God, and something has to happen to put us back into fellowship. The problem for her is just that for 4,383 days, she couldn't be put back into fellowship. So on top of everything else, and it was communicated by touch or proximity. It was almost like having goodies, right? And so if she bumped into somebody in the crowd or, or if she touched someone, her husband cannot touch her husband or her kids. It was a, she was living in a nightmare from which there was no awakening. And then what happened? She heard about Jesus. It says she heard about Jesus. Somebody told her, hey, there's, we think that it's the Messiah. Here's some of the things he's doing. Here's some of the things he's saying. She said, he is not getting away from me. There's no way I'm not going to let this. And then he's in the crowd. Are you kidding me? She's going to get to him and get to him. She did. And look at the faith that ignites her heart. He's the answer. <laughs> he has the power to make a difference. He can stop the hemorrhaging. He can alleviate the shame. And here's faith set in motion. And right here, if all, she says in your text, it says, she believed. She believed if only I touch his clothing, the hem of his garment. Wow, that's just unbelievable to me. And so here's our plan. You know, she's not supposed to be in the crowd, bumping into people, touching people. So she's going to go stealth. She's going to come in from behind. You know, she makes her way to Jesus. And, you know, she has angelic helpers. You know why? Because this is Mark chapter five. And the angels know that. right? So the angels are like, excuse me, you're not in the story. Move. There's a woman here. Come on. You're not in the deck. Excuse me. Whoops. Put a little foot out there. That guy goes over here. And suddenly she's in the story and she's getting in there. And then she reaches out. She knows in her heart, this is the answer right here. This is faith, man. He's, I'm bleeding. I'm dying. A slow death here. I, my life is a bucket with big holes in it. I try to put this and that and doctor entertainment and doctor a pleasure and doctor drugs and alcohol and doctor success and doctor money and doctor self-help books. And then out those holes again. And then she gets a hold of it. 
And then something happens to the Bible says in, in Luke and Matthew have it too. Power from God goes out of God and into her. And immediately she says, whoa, wow, it happened. So here's her plan. Get in, get what I need, get out. But Jesus, <laughs> it sounded like a healed college commercial. <laughs> All right. Get in, get ahead, get your degree, whatever. <clears throat> you know what I like? I love that word immediately. No sweat for Jesus. What the doctors couldn't do for 12 long years and what no money could purchase. What no, nobody had the answer and nobody does have the answer. This is our story. Well, nobody. All your money in the world, all the, all the paparazzi following you around, it doesn't just matter. It doesn't matter. You got to make contact with the life giver, the one who started this whole thing, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. If you're apart from the, your maker, how can you even have life? Of course there's holes. It's a God-shaped void in everybody's heart, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Amen? So immediately she feels zapped and wow, so... so Let's consider Jesus' response. And, and just trust me on this. He's not trying to shame her, but she needs to learn something. First of all, you know, uh, he knows, too, that power has gone out. Now, I picture like a cartoon, you know, somebody's out. They're moving fast, folks, because there's a little girl's about to die. So the crowd's moving. And so Jesus connects with her. And he wants her to know about it. He needs the crowd to know about it. He wants you to know about it. So he stops suddenly, and everybody just piles up, you know, on top of each other. Really, that's how I picture it. And, and, and then here, now Jesus has a question. Who touched my clothes? Who touched me? And then Peter, and you know how we know it's Peter? Because Matthew ratted him out. <laughs> Mark was his friend, right? So Mark just said the disciples, and I'm sure it was all the disciples. They all looked at each other. But it was from the mouth of Peter, and why are we not surprised? Peter says to him, Lord, uh, look at the crowd. They're threatening to crush you, all right? There's hands all over you. There's, everybody's bumping into you. What are you talking about? How can you still ask who touched me? We're confused. Is it too hot under the sun? Do you get the Lord some water, fan him off. He's losing it here. Who touched you, Lord? Come on, how can you say that? And Jesus said, Jesus asks questions to make points. He doesn't need the information because he's all-knowing, right? So he's trying to make a point. In fact, he asked 307 questions in the Gospels. 307. He only answers three. But he asked 307 questions because he's saying, for you to get it, I have to give you the information and allow you to personally process it and reach your conclusion, and that's how we work together. And it's just going to force this on you and give you the answer. So he asks a lot of rhetorical questions, and here's one of them. Who touched me? Well, they fall into the error that most of the church falls into and that many people in here falsely believe. Being close to Jesus, being in a church building, Singing, singing worship songs, I'm connecting. You might be if you have real faith that's reaching out in a personalized, uh, faith-filled way. 
in a desperate way to say, I got to connect here with intentionality. But I'll tell you what, hundreds and hundreds, perhaps millions of people this day all over the world were, were near him in the crowd. Beautiful stained glass, beautiful candles and evangelical churches as well who sang, who held hymn books, who, who said Bible verses, who said prayers, meaningless prayers, wrote prayers that, that didn't go anywhere. The, the heart remained untouched of the power of God and the life of God that saves. And he's saying, do not mistake. This is what he's asking the question for. Do not mistake being close to me as that's enough. They were singing Hosanna in the crowd. They were excited. But they're not connecting. His point is only one person has touched me. You think it looks like everybody in the room's here. Everybody in the room's listening. Not everybody in this room right now is listening to me. They're, they're disengaged. They're planning their lunch. They're like, you know, what is that bald guy doing up there? You know, or whatever. <laughs> whatever. It happens, people. It happens. How do I know? Because I've done it. I've gone to church and not connected with the Lord in my lifetime. I know it. You're, 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 you've got other things on your mind. The song service happens. You say the words. You put something in the offering. You're not connected. You didn't pay attention. You're on your phone during the service. That happens all the time. I see it happening. Jesus' point is, you want to connect with me? Then something better be happening intentionally in here with faith, with targeted on me, a reaching out of the soul in faith, will always bring the power in the life of God. So this is my, one of my favorite all-time stories. So he says, no, Peter, no, only one person is touching me. Now, there's, there, you know, how do you do with awkward silence? Me, that's, <laughs> it's horrifying to me. I, I'll just start talking, surprise. <laughs> if we're at a dinner... I don't even know what I'm saying. I'll just say anything. If it goes too long of a lull, I'll just start talking. So yeah, and then the, whatever comes to my mind. <laughs> Jesus is cool. He goes, he powers through that awkward silence. So he's staring them down. <laughs> it's like, they're, they're like, why are you asking that? So he ignores them and just, he's waiting. He's looking. Awkward silence. Hold on, watch this and piercing God eyes with the Holy Spirit anointing his swipe of the area, right? And she melts and she comes and she's trembling and she tells the whole story. That's just beautiful. He outs her for her own good. First of all, how is anybody ever gonna know that she's no longer unclean? She could go back and say, hey, listen, I've had a miracle. Yeah, right. Oh, no, no. Now Jesus is going to pronounce it from the Son of God, the Messiah, who thousands of them respect and understand, right? So she, for her sake, he's saying, I'm going to pronounce you clean and healed. So she could go back. But more than that, you know, <laughs> you know he's not a pharmacy. He's a father. And she doesn't, she, she thinks, I'm just going to come in. I'm a nobody. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. Nobody knows my name. They didn't even mention in Mark chapter five. <laughs> That's the whole point is that Jesus loves her like that. And she gets what she needs and she wants to go home. And he takes her face and say, listen, I'm not just here to fix your problems. 
I, I was thinking maybe a relationship would be nice. Since I created you and love you, and you were created for relationship and love with me. I just thought instead, every time you get a little crisis and being some glorified Bales bondman for you to get you out of your mess, and then I never hear from you again until your next crisis, I just thought I'd just kind of, listen, her body was healed in an instant. There's some healing going on for her soul now. Daughter. Oh, come on. It's the only place that Jesus mentions daughter in the Bible. Only one he called daughter. Why? Because 12 years, 12 years of hell, living hell, of everybody. Oh, they lost. She, she was alive, but she was dead to everybody. And God says, I saw that. You are a somebody. He's got her face. Look at me. You're mine. You're my daughter. You're God's daughter. You don't have to come up from behind and be all ashamed. Sneak in, sneak out. He's restoring dignity and relationship and love and a sense of belonging. There's a place for you. I know you. A father's love. Wow, that's healing. Feel my compassion. Feel the comfort of my words. And go your way and enjoy this life that you have. And by the way, your faith in me is the reason that you're whole, you know. Listen, bring your bleeding to the Lord. He'll stop the process. He'll bring you life. As humiliating and awkward as it is, bring it to him. You'll be whole, and he'll call you son and he'll call you a daughter. And, you know, and thanks that she's been called out, you know she's not going home talking about the wonder of the tassels on his robe, but the wonder of the love of the Lord. You see? That's why he had to call her out. She'd think, oh, you know, let me tell you about the clothes, you know? Now she tells him about the Lord. Finally... I hope you didn't forget about Jairus. Dad is like there. Can't you hear this? Like the tapping of the toes. Like, come on, lady. You got your healing. You know, it took you long enough to come out of the crowd. You know? So he's seeking the worst possible scenario is this is going to be the death knell for my daughter. And sure enough, the angels are busy opening up the crowd because they belong in Mark chapter 5. So, so up come a bunch of guys from the synagogue, boisterous with the bad news. Let us through, let us through, let us through. And here they come in and they say, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Notice the teacher, the nice teacher, the little rabbi with his cute little quotes and you know his little scroll and all of that. Why bother? The, the, you're, you're free to go now, rabbi, you know. Because this is a big ticket item. We've crossed from possible miracle to, no, sir, she's dead. And nobody raises the dead. Unless, of course, you're God. Bing. <laughs> bing, bing, bing. So Jesus is ready to go. You know, there's always an Eeyore, by the way. There's always an Eeyore. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your miracle is over. You know, we're all going to die. 
And what happens? Oh, I know, Jesus, I know. He grabbed his chin, grabbed his chin. Hey, look at me, look at me. He's listening to them. She's dead. I knew it. I knew you were spending too much time with her. Come on, you couldn't have moved a little bit faster. Come on, if you really cared. I told you she was going to die. You know, no, 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 look at me. And he says, when you're panicked and freaked out, two simple things. Stop being afraid and trust me. He just says, don't be afraid, just trust. And that's when your world goes upside down and the phone call and you're freaked out and somebody says, we're all going to die. You're going to die of failure. You know, somebody just said that to me that he kept hearing, I'm going to die of failure. And I said, you know what? You're going to die an overcomer because everybody born of God overcomes the world. That, sir, is your destiny. And then you can tell Eeyore to go move his donkey down the road. Well, Eeyore is the donkey, but I don't know how you move your donkey. But all right, moving on. So keep it simple. Keep it simple, people. That's what he says. Stop being afraid. I'm here. Now, he takes the three guys in with him, everybody else, right? He arrives on the scene. He permits no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. An acquaintance of mine, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, put it this way. He said, he only let his inner, inner circle, Peter, James, and John, come in. Now, couldn't it be just as true that Jesus knew who he had to keep a special eye on? Which three? You know, so, so you know, we always say, wow, but, you know, who knows? But... <laughs> Jesus dealing with the crowd. So he tries to spark a little faith, and he's saying, hey, here comes a question again. The professional mourners are there. The flute players, Matthew and Luke says there's some flute players, and they played the song that always told everybody somebody just died in the neighborhood. So it's a dirge, and they would hire professional wailers, and, and, and that's what they did. And so the professionals are on the scene wailing, and tearing their clothes and sackcloth and ashes. It would be like an ambulance siren for us. You know, it always gives you a sick feeling. It just, you're at a terrible scene of a tragedy. And he says, listen, what's up here with all the wailing and crying and tears? Just stop, people. Just stop. And only Jesus Christ has the right to say to people, just stop. Just stop. I'm here. Hello. What did I just tell the crowd? I am the resurrection and the life. I am. He says, I am the resurrection. That's his title. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if they die, yet shall they live. So if I'm in the room and this guy's asking me to raise her up, to help her, to, to make her live, then you know what? Death is not death and final. It's like a sweet little short little cat nap. That's all she's having. She's, her body is resting. And I'm going to go in there. So he goes in there. And I love this line. He puts all the naysayers out. He says, you three in, mom and dad in, everybody else out. All the Eeyores are out. Why? We don't want to discourage mom and dad. So he goes in. They're near the corpse. She's dead. He's not saying, oh, you're mistaken. She's dead. Nothing says dead like a corpse. I mean, seriously, she's dead. And so can you believe dad is 
choked up, right? Dad hasn't seen her for a while. Mom's been there three hours crying her eyes out. And the disciples are holding their breath like, is he really going to, we're going to watch a dead corpse sit up, right? So the holy hush, who? I want to be there. I want to see this, right? And he takes her hand and he says to this little sweet junior high girl who had died, little girl, I say to you, rise and shine. And she stands up and walks around. Now, for me, I just wrote down typical junior higher. Yeah, you know, what is it? She doesn't just wake up slowly and open her eyes and say, Mom, Dad, you know? She gets up and she bounces around the room. Come on, can I go out with my friends? You know, I want to go down to the mall or whatever. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you know why she's up and walking around? She, she was raised from the dead but she was healed of the disease that put her in the bed in the first place, and she's already back to normal. And the parents have their child. What a beautiful thing. Now listen, you're going to die. And then if you put your faith in Christ while you're living, you're going to hear, my son, my daughter, I say to you, Arise. And you're going to open your eyes and you're going to see your heavenly father. Jesus called everlasting father. You're going to see him. And he's going to restore you and that body. The body rests until he appears for the church. When he appears, the body, which is sleeping, never the soul. The soul is absent from the body to be present with the Lord. The people are in heaven. Their bodies are asleep. And he wakes the body and puts it together, joins it, a new body. It's your body. It'll be changed, but it'll be fitted for eternity. And on resurrection day, you will be united, your spirit, with your body. And you're going to hear him say, little son of mine, little daughter of mine. That's what he does. You know, only God could speak to a dead person. But that's God's job description. He speaks to things that are not and calls them as if they were. He brings the dead to life. That's our story. Now, communion time. Communion time, as the team comes up here, I want to tie something beautiful to our communion time that I hope you didn't miss in our text. So listen to this. There are two people who are unclean in the story. If you touch those two people, you become unclean. The woman touched Jesus. Jesus becomes unclean. Notice, she becomes clean. He touches her hand. He could have said, little girl, I say to you, arise. He could have done anything but he knew, and everybody around that corpse, listen to me, everyone around the corpse who knows Jewish law is watching out not to make contact with anything near the body or they're out of service for a week. He takes his hand while they're watching, and they're gasping. He touches the dead body. He technically becomes unclean, defiled. By death connected to the fall, to sin, to rebellion, to transgression. But she gets life. Look at it. 
It's the cross. He becomes defiled. He's the pure God-man. Not one sin committed. Not one. He's the God-man. And so he touches the defilement and soaks it onto him. He takes it. He bears our sins, but he became our sin. So when, when she touched him and I need to be clean, I need to be done with this terrible defilement mess, Jesus, it went on him. And then the death went on him, the sin that caused the death. And then he, unclean Jesus, goes to the cross and presents himself a sacrifice to God the Father as the defilement for the sins of the world, for your sins, for your profane thoughts, for your deeds, for your defiled ways, all on him. And all he says is just touch me by faith. If you touch me by faith, then I took your defilement and became unclean for you, and you became clean. Do you see? 100% clean. Your sins yesterday and forever past and today and tomorrow and the future. All those defiling sins went on him and he clothed you with righteousness. This is the gospel. You're going to tell me all religions are the same? You tell me in what religion God comes down and does all everything for you and offers you everything for nothing. Simply believe that God himself would become your sin sacrifice, die in your place instead of you. Come on. All religions are the same. They can't be the same because they're different. <laughs> That's my latest line. I've been using it a lot. Here's how communion's going to work. The ushers will pass to you a cup and bread, and you hold on to it. All it does is stand for his broken, defiled body that went to the cross to pay for your sins. And that redemption is now giving you life on the inside, not up just here, inside, right? Now, receive it. Hold on. We're going to worship one song. And then when everybody's served, I'll come back. We'll pray. We'll, we'll participate in this beautiful, symbolic way of understanding that we're, we have life. We're no, no longer defiled. He was defiled on our behalf. Listen, if you're not a Christian, you've never received Christ, um, and you want to participate because you believe, you get it, it's enough today, then bow your head, ask the Lord to forgive you, to come be your Lord, commit your life to him quietly, and you're welcome to be served. But if you're not, it just doesn't, make, it doesn't help you. And in fact, it's not a good idea to, to go through. It's not like a lucky charm. It just doesn't work that way. First, the heart. And if that's right, then you're welcome. Amen? Amen. All right, Father, just prepare our hearts now as we come before you. And thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.